You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We made it, y'all. It's it's almost week 18, which is weird enough to have a week 18, but also to get here and have the playoff picture almost fully formed in a season where at any given moment you could be high as hell on a team or think they're absolute trash, and as they jumbled and mixed themselves around all season long, we finally made it to here where we, we kind of kind of have a feeling of who's decent, although some of these games this weekend are going to tell us once and for all whether they're playoff good or just miss the cut. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. It's Friday! Mm. And Fitz's mm. finger is already puckered because the Raiders are one of those teams that has a lot on the line this weekend. Fitz is here with me, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Bill Barnwell coming up to talk about all things Week 18 and some really interesting sound that I heard of him and Pablo chatting on ESPN Daily today. We're going to get to that in a moment, but I want to start with your Raiders. So, Sarah, I'm just going to cut you right off and and get right to this because I have so many questions for you. Number one, when can I start drinking on Sunday? Like, because, see, the game... Do you want to remember the game? I think you should figure out halfway through if it's something you want to remember or not. So, number two, I'm going to Indy, right? So, I'm going to be in Indianapolis for the College Football National Championship game. This is my open plea and shill to anybody listening in Indianapolis. My hotel has a beautiful sports bar called High Velocity in it. I tried to reserve myself a seat. Tell in people high velocity. where you're staying when well, you're a celebrity. Or yeah, a I'm not interest. a celebrity. Nobody cares. But okay. high velocity is not taking reservations because of the college football playoff national championship being in town. They're not taking reservations. So now I'm puckered up because I've decided I want to sit at high velocity at 8.20 p.m. Like, what time do, should I get to the bar to ensure that I have a quality seat? And okay, then do I have to start? having Golick Jr. call? No, that's. Gojo, like, Gojo, if you're listening on your way home, make a call to High Velocity. Yeah. Just give me, he's, he just put his head in the studio and said no. Like, this what? is what, this is the oh, level of wow. friendship I get. Like, oh, he wow. just openly said no to me when I asked, like, I'm just trying right, to get a seat. call his dad. Okay. Oh, call his dad. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a better, better name anyway. That's the better I realize Golic. it's the same name. But it's a better name anyway. Now he's flipping me off. This is what's <laughs> happening. Like, and this is why Mike shouldn't be around me at high velocity because I'm going to lose a friend, and I cherish you're our be friendship. At high velocity. I, you I know, mean, that's the perfect name for a place that you're going to be watching. I feel like I'm going to have to get there at two in the afternoon, and then well, I'm going to feel pressure well. to start drinking, and then by you know eight twenty. You should have a limit to the number of beverages you're allowed to have before 18. the Raiders game start. You should very slowly imbibe them, mixing some waters in between. And you should have some sort of snack that's a lot of bites, like many oh, carrot sticks, so that you slowly work your way through. Push it around the plate when the waitress comes or the waiter so that it seems like you're working on it. But you know you're in it for the long haul. Hey, let's talk some football, though, because <laughs> that's what's going to be happening in these games. And I think you'll like what your boy and our boy, Ryan Clark, had to say about your Raiders team. It's flat out resiliency, right? It's perseverance. This is a team that has gone through things, whether it's John Gruden in the emails and him having to resign, things they went through with Henry Ruggs. This is a team that has faced adversities that we aren't used to seeing Mm. involved in the NFL. And you have a special teams coordinator who becomes the head coach named Rich. 
Versace. So, you know, and, and so now he's <laughs> taking over a team and having to deal with people <laughs> on a level he never has and also dealing with instances and yeah. situations that are just not circumstances you're used to. Yeah. And so for this team to continue to fight says a lot about their leaderships. Guys like Dan, Dar Darren Waller, guys like Max Crosby, obviously yeah, but... quarterback Derek Carr. And it says that this is a team that has players who have been through adversity. You can even add Carl Nassib to that. And right. they've shown that through the way that they've played. All right, so first things first, how crazy would it be if Gruden wasn't able to get them to the postseason, but a guy that Ryan Clark had to go to a lifeline for to get the last name of is the guy who sends it on home? I mean, it, it's crazy in every possible way, and it speaks to the fact that Bisaccia has had the heart of this locker room, and sometimes that just happens, right? Like, uh, certain groups galvanize together, and it feels like that's happened over the course of the last three games, especially. It's funny to me because so many people are talking about the pressure of winning they're in I would argue that the Raiders have been under this pressure since they got shellacked by the Chiefs and in that process they beaten a Browns team that was fighting for their playoff lives the Broncos team that was at the time fighting for their playoff lives and a Colts team that had everything with the playoffs on the line last week they've won three straight close games when their backs were up against the wall so for me this is a Raiders team that's been here for the last three weeks and has managed to persevere every single time every time I've doubted them they've proven me wrong yeah, I mean, it's true. It's true, but they've also let you down in some pretty big instances. And I think you're riding high after that Colts win, but you have to remember that there have been some letdowns from this Raiders team. And my biggest concern is how they fare against really explosive offenses with good quarterbacks. You can look at them against a couple decent teams and how they were able to fare. But when you line them up against top offenses, they have gotten shredded. And that is just what they're going to see in the Chargers and Herbert. So can Carr keep up if it's kind of shootout-like? And can the pass rush make enough plays, put enough pressure on Herbert to limit him enough to give them a chance? Because that defense is not going to be good enough if they let the Chargers do what they've done in some of the games this year. I think they're the second-highest scoring offense in the league. We'll get to some more Raiders in a minute. But the other big game... And Spain and Fitz, by the way, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, uh, is Rams Niners. We talked to DeMarco Farr about this last night. Uh, here's a little bit of what he said on this matchup with the Niners, who have had the Rams number. The next time the Rams beat Jimmy Garoppolo will be the first time. I know, mm. right? Of all the quarterbacks they faced, Rodgers, Brady, everyone, uh, Kyler Murray, uh, Russell Wilson, the one guy they can't seem to beat is Jimmy Garoppolo. This is the strangest thing in the world. Um, and the only team San Francisco can beat in this division seems to be the Rams, and it's going to be a body bag game. Uh, the 49ers haven't done anything really dynamic. They've just absolutely punished you on the field. And up there in November, it wasn't even close. So it, it's not anything you can fix with X's and O's or scheme. You're going to have to play those guys nose to nose and turn them back. They think they can beat you. You're going to have to convince them otherwise. Fitz, maybe not X's and O's, but X factor was the first thing he said. Jimmy Garoppolo. I think the X factor here is who ends up starting for the Niners. If you throw Trey Lance out there, you've got a guy that the Rams don't have a lot of tape on and a guy that really helps that team's run offense, right? He adds to their running game. If you put Jimmy G out there, he's a guy who's had tremendous success against them in the past. And then their weakness is those sort of short intermediate passes across the middle because their linebackers aren't good in coverage and Jimmy can exploit that. So one of those two 
two guys is going to play the majority of this game. Both of them have their own way of sort of being effective. And, and what does that mean for how much prep the Rams have to do for both of them as they get ready for the game? I think that's the hard part for the Rams is that they're preparing for two. But I think you're also right. You know, the one thing that, that DeMarco said with us last night, and I, I really I walked away from talking to him last night, thinking about it again. This, this Rams defense has played really well. And we've talked so much about the Rams and how broken they are with Matt Stafford forgetting that it's a 12-4 and four football team. Like, the, right. this is a 12-4. and four, And I know that they haven't necessarily beaten so great teams to do that. And you're right. Expectation is a huge part of it. But I, I think if you're the 49ers, the hardest part of that, this whole thing, is that you've got to figure out short-term versus long-term. Like, do you rush Jimmy G back and put yourself in a situation where you try and win this game and, and get the best opportunity going into the playoffs? Or do you essentially keep uh, – you let Trey Lance play and you realize that chances are, you know, you're st- you still got a shot at the playoffs either way. So maybe you just you, – you be cautious and live right. to maybe see the Jimmy's first round of the playoffs. The playoffs yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, and then that's a big part of it too is what they think the best opportunity for them in the playoffs is is a, is a 100% Jimmy G, uh, but you got to get there first, and that's a big part of it. Um, they should get some of those DBs back. They have, I think – five or six right now on the COVID list, they should get some of those guys back, and that's going to help a lot in that game as well. To your point about their defense uh, on the Rams side, the Rams fourth in run DVOA, fifth in pass DVOA, and this is a good football team. It's just the expectations are so high, and the struggles from Matt Stafford are under a particular spotlight, which is why we talk about him a lot. And Both quickly, games- Sarah, I will say the NFL is super smart by putting the, uh, the Saints-Falcons game at the same exact time kickoff because – that's the other one. They would need the Falcons to beat the Saints to make the playoffs if they yep. lose. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a wild weekend. Saturday, Sunday, games with a lot on the line. Don't forget, you can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation tonight on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, ESPN Nation's presented by Dr. Pepper. College football bowl season's here, and fans are hyped. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Coming up, that great sound from Bill Barnwell. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I listen to the ESPN Daily podcast almost every day, and today was yet another gem featuring uh, the host, Pablo Torre, and one of our show faves who's going to join us in a few minutes. He'll hear Bill Barnwell talking about Week 18, and one of the most fascinating parts of the conversation to me was Bill talking about the lower quality of the NFL teams this season. And we've seen that in the abstract in talking about the parody and at one point in the season saying, listen, there's eight teams I could see in the Super Bowl. And, and wouldn't be surprised to see them there. But this got down to the numbers, and it really, really shocked me. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to tune in to a football doubleheader Sunday. Jags host the Colts, followed by Jets at Bills. Coverage begins at noon Eastern on ESPN uh, Select Radio stations. But that's, you know, one of the things we're keeping an eye on this weekend is who shows up for all these different teams because inconsistency from even the best has been huge. And Bill Barnwell on ESPN Daily today talked about how the numbers bear out that the good teams this year aren't even all that good. Football Outsiders wrote about this this week by their DVOA metric, which is the, their team efficiency stat that's been really uh, very effective in predicting performance in years past. The top team in football isn't the Packers, who are the one seed in the NFC, or the Titans, who are the one seed in the AFC. It's the Cowboys. They would have been the sixth best team in football in 2019. The Packers rank eighth in DVOA. Tennessee ranks 19th. 
there are 18 better teams in the <laughs> NFL than the one seed in the AFC. And maybe you say, okay, I don't trust DVOA. That's fine. ESPN's Football Power Index says the Titans are the worst number one seed of the last 13 seasons by a considerable margin. Football Outsiders goes even further. Not only are they the worst one seed they've ever seen, which goes back, I believe, about 30 years of data, they would be the worst number two seed in the postseason they've ever seen. All of this adds up to a playoffs where it seems like anything is possible, good or bad. That's fascinating to me, Fitz, because... We haven't really looked at it numbers-wise. We've really just talked about it in the context of who can beat who and who are the quote-unquote real contenders. But to really look at it and say, I guess the NFL achieved what they wanted. There's so much parity that no one's really any good. Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out because when you start talking about the DVOA and everything, like, is it that no one's any good or that there's just everybody's more tightly compacted? You know, I mean – I'm looking across the board, and if you look right now at the AFC, for example, like the Bills and the Patriots, 10 wins, the Bengals, 10 wins, the Titans, 11 wins, Kansas City, 11 wins. Like, this isn't a year where we have one team with 13 wins, for example. In the NFC, I know we have the Packers there. But we have a lot of teams packed in together with 10 or 11 wins. So maybe we have a lot of pretty good teams or or a a tighter level of competition. That's what I can't figure out from all the numbers. Like, does this mean they suck or does this mean that, like, it's just a bunch of better teams that are more tightly compacted? Well, DVOA is is 85 to 2020 is how long they've been using these play-by-play breakdowns to produce this particular stat. And it can be defensive DVOA or offensive DVOA, or in the case of this, they're just looking at entire team DVOA, which is the entire season play-by-play comparing success on each play to the league average. And that's using down, distance, location on the field, current score gap, quarter, opponent quality, etc. So it can measure total team performance, but it doesn't act the same way as other places' power rankings because it can actually break down effectiveness on each of those categories, on the down, on the quarter, on rushing versus receiving, passes to backs, passes to receivers. So it like can get deeper and deeper and deeper into the stats. What you need to know is that it's not saying, um, you know, compared to this season, it's saying if you did this exact same thing on this play three years ago, how yeah. would you fare compared to all the teams that season and every other season That's fair. in that situation? So it's essentially saying none of these teams are that great, which we've kind of already been hinting at. The question is, do we like that? Is it good for the league that we have no idea how good some of these teams are? He talks about the Bucks on the podcast with Pablo and – they're they're you know beyond the injured players and those folks not coming back like AB you also have a team that lost to the Saints and almost lost to the Jets and look nothing like the four straight wins coming off a bye that got them into the postseason last year feeling hot. You look at the Cards, for instance. This is a team that started out hot and ever since then has had disastrous offensive numbers and relies so much on Kyler Murray being otherworldly that you don't really know what you're getting. Um, and so when you're looking at those, are you saying, ooh, that keeps it exciting? Or are you saying, I really would rather kind of know that there's some dominant squads? Yeah, for me, I want excitement, right? And so for me, what I want is the sense that everybody has a real shot coming into the playoffs. And 
I think the playoffs feel more wide open than ever before. Like, you know me, I'm cheap. I don't really like to gamble unless I feel like I've got a really good handle on things, and even then it doesn't go well. This year, uh, there's not a chance that I'm putting any cash on these teams in the playoffs because I, I it, for me it's really hard to conceptualize, okay, uh, I've seen so much good from the Titans, but I've also seen so many moments where I'm sitting there and I'm like, they, they don't make anything look easy. And, and just like to use the eyeball test, the number of times that I've sat here and said, ah, the Chiefs have it figured out. And then 30 seconds later, I'm like, the Chiefs do not have it figured out. And, <laughs> and the Bengals are another good example of that. So for me, what I like is that, man, any given Sunday really feels like it's a genuine thing this year, and that means every playoff game is worth watching because you don't know what you're going to get when these teams take each other on. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes for a lot of excitement across all the different squads and their fan bases because you really feel like you've got a shot, and you also don't feel like there's an inevitability to who will end up in there. That always kind of is the case in the NFL. It's very different from something like the NBA. You're always kind of guessing at who's going to come next and, and how they're going to fare against their next opponent, but usually there's a bit more certainty at the top, and that's not the case this year. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Um, I mentioned the Cardinals, and Mina Kimes today talked about something I found fascinating, which is a surprising jolt they could get from the early comeback of one J.J. Watt. It's massive. J.J. Watt was playing really good football before he got hurt for them, and since then, the defense has tailed off against both the run and the pass, particularly their ability to get pressure without blitzing. Before J.J. Watt got hurt, uh, the Cardinals ranked 10th in the NFL with a standard rush and pressure percentage. Since then, it's been 29th. They pretty much live or die by the blitz. And as you guys know, that is no way to survive in the postseason. So getting him back, mm -mm. if he's anything close to the level where he was playing before he got injured, would be, to me, uh, a difference between winning or losing a playoff game. That's, that's, a, that's a stunning analysis that I really hadn't thought about, right? Like, I feel like we've – there was a period where everybody was all in and then all out on all things Cardinals. So – it's um, it's alarming to hear that information and think, oh, man, have, do we need to rethink everything? By the way, you mentioned earlier the Rams having high expectations, 12-4. and four. Uh, The Cardinals are 11-5. Like, I, I, I just – I look and see that, and it doesn't feel like we've had 11-5 and five conversations about the Cardinals. Well, we did at the beginning yeah, because they fair. earned themselves such a padding by starting out at whatever it was, 10-4, and 10-3. and three. Whatever it was, right. right? This is a team that started out so strong that as they started to stumble, it was like, oh, okay, well, Kyler's out. All right, D-Hop's out. And it was like, okay, well, now they're back, and it still doesn't look right. Or here's one victory. Okay, good. Cardinals, all right, they're back where we thought they were. And then another terrible loss, and you're, you're just, you don't know what you're going to get with them. And that's fascinating. Uh, Bill also talked about, we don't have time to play it, but – um, the Titans, and I think maybe we'll play it later in the show because it's just such a good take from Bill and such a surprising take on, on not believing that the return of Derrick Henry has that much of an impact on how the Titans will fare, which is pretty shocking. Yeah, eye-opening information on that portion of it too and just a reminder that it's data because so many Titans fans get up in my mentions about the lack of respect that they're getting from uh, these sort of analytic bases, but I would tell everybody it's numbers. They're just reading the numbers. Yeah, and that's what he says. He's like, I don't even know if I believe it, but that's what the numbers say. You know what? We'll play that sound as Bill joins us next because I want you all to hear the idea that Derrick Henry might not be the savior, but then again, they might not need one. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. All right. 
we told you that we have some interesting audio from today's ESPN Daily. And I, I can't say this enough. Sarah and I both listen to it all the time. She listens to it every day, as she mentioned earlier. Uh, it is such a great podcast for making you smarter. And before we bring in Bill Barnwell, who's with us, ESPN senior writer, before we do that, I want you to hear what Bill said on the Daily today about Derrick Henry and the Titans and why maybe getting him back isn't as much of a big deal as you might think. Here's where I say something very stupid because it's supported by the data, but I'm not sure I actually believe it because by the data, I don't think it's going to make much of a difference at all because Derrick Henry, Mm. while he was gobbling up a ton of carries during the first half of this season, again, the biggest workload in the history of the National Football League through eight games, he wasn't very efficient doing so. He was averaging 4.3 yards per carry. That's down from 5.4 yards per carry in 2020. This year, he was ordinary. He was basically a league average back when he had the ball in his hands. And the Titans, I mean, look at their offense over the past few weeks. They've been running the ball fine with Deontay Foreman. I mean, yeah. you figure maybe it helps Ryan Tannehill in the play action game and getting A.J. Brown back recently and getting Julio Jones hopefully back will help as well. But Given that Henry's coming back from a serious injury, he's missed half the season, he wasn't running all that efficient even before the injury, I don't think it's going to make as big of a difference as people think right now. So let's head over to the Goodyear Hotline, ESPN senior writer Bill Barnwell. Bill, you've had time to think about that. You still feel good about that, Dick? Oh, boy, guys. Can we put Mambo Mambo number five back on? I don't want to listen (laughs) to that guy talk anymore. Come on. I, you know, like, like I, I think it's going to help because Derrick Henry's a great football player. And even if the numbers say he wasn't the same guy in 2021 that we saw in 2019 or 2020, having him as part of your running back rotation is going to help. I mean, that's just the reality of having a great player. But, you know, I, I would even throw the numbers out. I mean, think about this is a guy who's missed half the season, who was banged up before uh, he even did uh, go on IR with this foot injury hasn't played in half a season. I mean, maybe he comes back and he's awesome and blows people away. And, and I'm happy to take the L if that happens. But, you know, it, it just it's so hard to get to football shape and be playing at a high level in the NFL that I think, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he came back and we kind of saw him kind of grow into that guy and have a week or two where he's not the Derrick Henry of old. And if that happens, well, in the postseason, that might not be enough. You might lose before you get to that point. Bill, you know, one of the other things you said on the ESPN Daily show today that we played in the last segment was the commentary about the DVOA football outsiders review of the top teams this season, that the Cowboys, according to their tracking, actually were the best team, but would still have been the sixth best team two years ago, that the Titans are the worst number one in 13 seasons, according to ESPN's power index, and, you know, the worst in 30 years, the worst number two if they were the number two in 30 years for football outsiders. All of that is to say that there is then parity across the board and we have no clue which of these teams is going to give their best effort and show their best side during the postseason this year so as you are un- certainly going to be asked to make predictions what are you then looking at is there other data that you use outside of the dvoa or are you then saying all right it's eye test for me god you guys are going to get tennessee fans so mad at me based on (laughs) on the first half of this segment i I mean i'm looking at things like how healthier teams right you know i mean we know that so much of what happens in the postseason is just how many of your guys do you have left from from the beginning of the year we saw last year with with tampa bay you know they got gronk back late in the year and he was such a force for them in the postseason when he wasn't really that guy during the regular season last year um you know with the chiefs we saw their offensive line just collapse 
uh, during the end of the regular season and into the postseason. And by the time they got to the Super Bowl, it was a bunch of stand-ins playing offensive line, and they got shredded by the Bucks' defensive line. I, I think we sort of have all these teams that are kind of in, you know, a, a big glob, a big tier of talent. And I think that it's going to come down to matchups and who matches up well with each other from round to round. And then I think who's healthy. And, you know, I, I do think there are certain teams out there that stand out as, as teams that are getting healthy as we hit the postseason here. We're talking to ESPN senior writer Bill Barnwell, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I'll stick there for a second then. Uh, I, I know I want to ask you about the Raiders, but with all that data you just gave me then, who stands out? Like if, if, if you were trying to pick today, who's the best team in the AFC? Ooh, I don't think it's Tennessee. And I know, again, you're going to be mad at me. That's fine. <laughs> I will not check Twitter for an hour or so. I, I would still say the Chiefs. I mean, I know that they just lost to the Bengals. That was a great game. Um, I, I don't really fault them for losing. It was certainly a close contest. Uh, I think they're going to get the two seed, which, which I think puts them in good shape. We know they can beat Tennessee. We know Tennessee can beat them. That's going to be a great matchup. Um, but I still think the Chiefs are playing at a high level, relatively healthy. They did just lose Lucas Nyang, their tackle, I think, to an Achilles injury. But they have more depth on the offensive line than they had a year ago. I, I think they're in good shape. And I think, you know, if we get to the NFC, I might say maybe the Rams, a team that, you know, really the only guy they're going to have on IR in the postseason right now is Robert Woods. So, uh, relatively healthy. And by the way, I mentioned this on Daily. I know it, no one's really talking about it. Aaron Donald the past six weeks has gone from being, you know, the guy who was really good but we're not thinking about to the monster Aaron Donald. He's playing right. at such a high level right now. And that really hurt them in the postseason last year. They didn't have Aaron Donald in the playoffs last year. Uh, he got hurt and he was playing, but he wasn't the Aaron Donald we know. And now it feels like the Aaron Donald we know is bracing his game heading into January. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz talking to host of the Bill Barnwell podcast and ESPN senior writer Bill Barnwell. We do have a while to talk to you about playoff matchups once those are set, so let's talk about these Week 18 matchups that are going to have the biggest effect on the playoff picture. One of them is the Rams you just spoke of and the 49ers. I think the X factor is who quarterbacks that Niners team, whether or not mm -hmm. it's a guy that they don't have a lot of tape on that's going to really help in the run game, whether it's a guy in Garoppolo that can kind of exploit their weaknesses across that short and intermediate middle game. Um, what do you think the biggest decision-making, uh, or, or I guess X factor, will be in that matchup? Yeah, I agree with you. It's quarterback. And I think if it is Trey Lance or it is Jimmy Garoppolo, I think the question is how much trust – does Cal Shanahan have in either of those guys? When it comes to Garoppolo, since he's not 100%, if he struggles, do we see Trey Lance in that game? And if it's Lance to start, you know, how much trust does Cal Shanahan have in Trey Lance as a passer? Because we've seen him be, you know, make some very nice plays so far, but he's been pretty inconsistent. He's hit some dangerous throws. He looks like a rookie, which is there's nothing wrong with that. He just, you know, there's going to be some mistakes here. And for the Niners, I mean, if they lose and the Saints win, they're out. So they have every reason to try and be, you know, to, to try and not try to avoid mistakes and try to play, you know, their game. They've beaten the Rams so many times over the past few years. Uh, really, Kyle Shanahan has that Pat Shanahan's face number. So I think that um, I, I want to see, if it's me personally, I want to see Trey Lance because it's more fun. But I want to see Kyle Shanahan make a commitment. I want to see if he has Trey Lance in there throw the football. If he has Garoppolo in there, I think you have to commit to Garoppolo and, and you know go as far as he's going to take you in this game. All right, Bill, we've delayed the inevitable long enough. I'm going to be <laughs> sitting at a sports bar in Indianapolis on Sunday night. When we hit midnight, am I crying tears of joy or tears of sorrow? Oh, boy, Fitz, I, I don't want to let you down, my friend. I don't want to be mean. I, I'm not sure I buy this Raiders winning streak here. I mean, think about the last three games. 
Like, if you want to say their defense has played better, I will say for sure. But think about the quarterback they've played. They played a mm-hmm. backup quarterback in Drew Locke. They have played a I mean, Baker Mayfield. How do you describe Baker Mayfield? Broken uh, emotionally, physically, mentally. I mean, just a destroyed quarterback. And they've played yeah. Carson Wentz. <laughs> <laughs> they've played Carson Wentz, who spent the entire week on the COVID list. You know, they, they've, of course, you've got to win those games and they get credit for winning, but they've played three really compromised quarterbacks over the past three weeks. And now you get Justin Herbert who's playing at a high level. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Chargers can always find a way to lose games. I mean, the Raiders can too with the Chargers. This is the biggest game in the last few years for the Chargers going back to the end of the Phillip Rivers era. But I do think that um, the Chargers are a better team. The Raiders could win, certainly, but I think the Chargers um, are, are certainly a better team when you look at how they've played over the course of the entire season. I, I appreciate how kind and gentle you were yeah. with that, Bill. Like you, you didn't have Probably to hurts be. It hurts that I said the same thing, so that's now multiple people that are telling you it's all going to be uh, that defense not being good enough for Herbert and company. <sighs> you know what, Bill? <laughs> this is why I drank. Like I, 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 I'm this many days into my New Year's resolution of taking better care of myself, and it's all going to go to you know where yeah, uh, on sure Sunday. Uh, Bill, we appreciate your time, guys. Be sure to check out the Bill Barnwell podcast. Hey, great work on the daily today. Really yeah. nice job explaining some intensely uh, difficult information for somebody like me that's not as bright as you are. Appreciate your help. Fitz, I wish you the best of luck on Sunday. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's that. You know hey, what? Fitz, real quick, important note ESPN Daily is our podcast. The Daily is a New York Times podcast, and I, I will tell you that call it the Daily. I'm, well, I'm just letting you know that the big wigs at ESPN are like taking demerits in your file every time you say it that way. Well, you know, uh, you're probably trying to help right. you out, friend. You're I'm just right. trying to help you hey, out. I've I've hosted it before, and I still don't know what it's called. <laughs> I'll never forget the fact that I hosted ESPN Daily somehow the day the NBA shut down. I'll never forget Look at that. You. ESPN Look Radio at you. is presented by Progressive Insurance with more than 30 unique coverage options available. Progressive, no small business. Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. All right, we got a lot to get to in the NBA and around the world of basketball, so we're going to do it the way only we can on this show next. It's time for Quickies coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain and a very unprofessional Jason Fitz. I'm just getting closer and closer to going completely off the rails. You know, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it all the way. Uh, to, to Sunday. I don't, but I do know this. We put up a poll for you guys. Uh, we want we want your thoughts uh, in honor of the Titans being the worst number one seed ever in the history of Football Outsiders team. DVOA tracking is the NFL parody this season more fun for you, or do you prefer it when there's a team or two that are dominant? Like, oh my God, I can't wait to see that squad. Sarah, did you answer like, I prefer the parody. Where are you on this one? I think I prefer the parody. Yeah, I think I prefer if my team was great, I think that would scare the hell out of me. My team was a, you know, a number 1 or 2 or 3 seed. I wouldn't like the idea that that didn't mean much for me in terms of certainty. But, you know, as an innocent bystander whose team is not going to be participating in the postseason, I'm here for it. Let's go. I just am going to be having to remind myself not to gamble too much on it. Now we know the reason that I prefer the parody because I'm like, wow, if it lets my bad Raiders team get into the playoffs, Mm -hmm. I'm all in for it. All right. Spain and Fitz, by the way, brought to you by Goodyear. With you for every mile on the road to greatness. Goodyear. More driven. We're driven to get you a bunch of big uh, basketball stories, so let's do it the way only we can. It's time for some quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. All right, let's start with some news in the WNBA. Obviously, we love talking about the sport, and we love talking about the stars of the sport. Well, one of those stars 
looks to be returning for her 19th WNBA season. It's, it wasn't that long ago that we heard everybody chanting for Sue Bird to come back. It looks like it is going to happen. I cannot believe it's happening, Sarah, but I think it's great for her. It's great for the WNBA. It's great for the conversation around the sport. And selfishly, I'm just glad we get to see more of her awesomeness. Agreed. I immediately texted her YAS with like 11 A's and 15 S's and then in all caps, never leave us uh, because that's how I feel about wanting to watch her continue playing for as long as she's still great. And she just seems to be getting better. She's not showing signs of age. Uh, interesting. The storm announced it along with her after she said officially she was coming back. Then they had to delete everything because technically she's an unrestricted free agent. She can't negotiate with them until the 15th. She can't be signed until February 1st. First, she is one of five unrestricted free agents, some big names on the, on the storm. So uh, we, we know that she's going back there, and there's a lot of great tie-ins with the new Climate Change Arena, formerly Key Arena, and all of that, these great memories to be made there. Uh, but we just have to pretend we don't know that, and so do they, until it's official. Yeah, that is an interesting. There's a lot of free agency in the WNBA in general this year, so going to be interesting to see how everybody rebuilds themselves. But, yes, also, sweet humble brag that you're just, like, texting buddies with Oh, yeah, like, yeah, we're BFFs. Yeah, really? Yep, yep, I mean, yep, like, yep, you want to, yep, like, group thread maybe your co-host no, and be I'm like, hey. good. I can keep oh, that to myself. Oh, man. All right, next story. Quickies. We're going to go now to, let's say it got heated uh, between the Knicks and the Celtics. Now, for anybody that didn't see the Knicks-Celtics game last night, uh, it was regrettable and forgettable in some ways for both teams in the sense that it didn't start out well for the Knicks and then it didn't end well for the Celtics, it's like this weird back and forth as the Celtics seem to find uh, interesting ways to lose games at this point, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, interesting is one word for it, pathetic. <laughs> uh, they're 26th in offensive efficiency in the fourth quarter this season and 25th in defensive. They've now blown four 19-point or more leads this season. Uh, that's two more than any other team. And you're right, though. It wasn't all good for the Knicks because as they were uh, suffering that 19-point uh, deficit, uh, Julius Randle responded to fans booing him with a thumbs-down gesture and when asked about it after the game, said this. Shut the up. What you talking about? To He just said to you saw the you saw You saw what was going on out there. Forget. Forget. Yeah, it's uh, hard to hear there, but he's basically saying, that's my message to the Knicks fans who are booing me. Now, he is shooting worse from beyond the arc. He isn't as dominant as he was last season, but the Knicks record is about the same as last year. And I am always making the argument, and I made the same argument with Javi when he was dealing with New York fans that were booing their own team that it's not necessarily a wise decision for an athlete to do that. It's not a winning proposition to, to, to thumbs down your own fans or to tell them to shut the F up. But the fans are pathetic because they want to be able to say and do whatever they want to hardworking athletes trying their best. And as soon as you turn it on them, they're up in their feelings being little bees about it. So if you want to be someone who boos your own players in the middle of them trying, especially when their record is basically the same as last year when you were all high and hot about them being back in the postseason, then you better be able to take it when they flip it around on you. And they never are. Yeah, and by the way, he Julius Randle went to his Instagram apologizing, saying, just want to send a quick message to our fans to be clear. I love NYC and being a part of this team and this franchise. This is part of why I don't think the Knicks are an appealing job, by the way. And I've said this a million times. Part of the reason that if I'm an athlete, I would pick the Nets over the Knicks is because if you have a bad game for the Nets, you still live in New York, you still go get a slice, nobody's in your face. You have a bad game for the Knicks, the guy selling your pizza is going to – 
MF you on the way, almost said it, right. on the way out right. the door the entire way, right? Like, yeah. there is a spot for me where you got to look at all of this and say, well, the pressure cooker. Like, I just, I don't get it. Right. And by the way, what a difference. We've mentioned the word expectation several times. The Knicks, about the same as they were last year, but it seems so much different because last year they were ahead of the curve. This year, Knicks fans came in with a lot of expectations. So mm-hmm. I, I, this is just part of the process with playing New York and it's part of well, why I don't think it's appealing. And with being desperate. They are the worst team in the NBA record-wise if you count it all up over the last 20 years. So the expectation for Knicks fans of who they are in their heads is never really quite in line with reality. But after that little taste of success last year, they want to build and build. And it has been disappointing in that regard. I just don't see the purpose of booing your own team, especially midway through a game that they clearly could have still been in. As for the Celtics, man, it's hard not to boo them if you're a fan of that team just because this experiment clearly isn't working. When you've got your head coach saying, on January 7th of a season that you still don't know where to look for leadership when things get tough. That is tough to swallow, and it looks like this is going to get it. This is going to get broken up, and probably should have a long time. Ago. Yeah, but how quickly the entire conversation around the Celtics have changed. It wasn't that long ago that we were looking at the Celtics saying, "Hey, this." As it turned built- out, it was a long time ago, though. It, it, if you it, actually think about it. They just never pulled it off. And so every year since, we've been like, wasn't that long ago that we were like, look at all the assets and all the whatever thing. But then every year we're like, and they're somehow still not turning them into anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and in the meantime, the East has left them completely behind. Uh, Which gets us to our next story. Quickies. And speaking of being left behind, that is the opposite of the way Phoenix Suns fans should feel. As they get the win last night, which takes them to 30 and eight. They become the first team in the NBA to get to 30 wins. They've won seven of their last 10, three in a row, and they are 30 and eight. And I say it over and over again because I feel like we become so obsessed with talking about Golden State and so obsessed with talking about what the Nets are doing, and even at times talking about the unexpected greatness of the Bulls that we forget yeah. that the Suns are taking what they've been able to do and just running it back. Like 30 and eight is spectacular. I mean, I'd argue we're still not talking enough about the Bulls. That's sure, sure, that's sure. Can't just imagine me. Why. Of course. Um, No, but it's true. And here's the thing. They're better than last year because last year there was so much talk about that being a bad trade and it was a a money grab and Chris Paul, like, you know, languishing there for the end of his career. And maybe he could at least be a veteran presence for some young players and get him get him ready for the for the successful era to come after his retirement. And instead, they made it all the way to the chip. And this is a team that now comes in with all of the confidence earned from last year, especially someone like DeAndre Ayton, who gets that confidence build of, of Chris Paul telling him you're the guy and, and you got this and they go into this season and it's wholly different so I'd be pretty terrified of a Suns team that's even better than last year yeah we're gonna have to start paying attention to the team and you're right particularly to Aiton who has quietly become a superstar in the league coming up one of the NBA's brightest young stars hasn't seen the court yet this season and there's an interesting decision his team made about him we'll tell you about it next Spain and Fitz you're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast I mean, the number of times that if we just had that commercial break conversation on air, we would have had to say allegedly. It would have been like <laughs> every other word. We were getting in some weird topics during the break. Just uh, I told just, you how much I like working for Mickey Mouse. I just want to make sure that we yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to keep our employment, so we'll move it along. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN <laughs> Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Happy Friday ahead of week 18 in the NFL. We're going to get back to NFL. We're also going to make our Friday picks. But right now it's time for some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. 
Uh, joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, ESPN reporter Andrew Lopez. If you listen to the show regularly, you know the last two nights I've just been talking about Zion and being like, we should get a Pelicans guest. And now here we got one. We got it. We're here to go. Way to go, Stash. Our producer goes out and gets the guy to tell us all about Zion's rehab. Let's just start with why is he in Portland and why is he rehabbing outside of the team with basically the team like kind of overseeing it? So it, it basically came down to that it, he was having some some trouble seeing the guys go through everyday workouts and go through games and not being able to join them. I think it was starting to, uh, for lack of a better term, to weigh on him a little bit uh, as he was going through his rehab process. And this is this is a, a, a decision that's basically going to allow him uh, to clear his mind get away from the team from a little bit, kind of maybe hit the reset button. Um, nothing has changed with his timeline. Nothing has changed with uh, the expectation that he will try and play this season. Um, this was just simply, hey, let's let's move you to a different place. Oh, by the way, if, um, you know, just in case we're going to announce something just because somebody's going to probably see you out there and, and let's just get ahead right. of it this time. You, you might be noticed. Uh, he was in my friend's yeah, Uber probably. once and he's like, just uh, Zion Williamson was in my Uber today. I'm like, are you sure? I mean, so <laughs> like with that being said, Andrew, like what's the, what should the panic meter be for Pelicans fans at this point? I think that, I mean, the meter really shouldn't change for Pels fans. Again, it is literally just a chance of, all right, Hey, we're going to shift location from you being here to being there to help you out. Um, now, if you, you want to reset, and now you're looking at what he's played now, 85 games uh, in his NBA career, and I think he's missed 98. If you you want your panic button a little higher because of that, sure. I am all I, I understand that one 100%. But I think, uh, you know, you're still hope, and I think there is still hope around the organization that uh, he is going to play this year. And I think um, – you know, they, they feel that way. And obviously they're waiting on how this injection that he had back on December 16th, how that affects his foot, how that affects the bone healing. And as long as that is, is going to help progress everything, you know, he should still play this year. They hope he should play this year, I should say. ESPN reporter Andrew Lopez with us here on Spain and Fitz talking Zion Williamson. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Is the fact that we're getting statements from Zion and we are not seeing much of him probably about not wanting to cause a stir about the weight and, and, and his size post-surgery? I think he, he took a little bit of that to heart when the, the picture from the Houston game kind of made the rounds, right. uh, the one of him in the red jumpsuit, which, by the way, the fi- picture that most people saw was Photoshop. Um, I, I remember seeing him that night. He walked right in front of us at the, the media table in Houston, and I'm like, and then somebody sent me that picture the next day, and I was like, that, that's not the same guy. Like, I know, right. I know what I saw with my own eyes. And then, I, you know, somebody ended up finding the, I guess, the, the regular picture. So I think some of it is he kind of is, is, is wanting to stay out of the public eye a little bit. But on the other hand, I do think it's still a good sign that it is a statement. This was his first statement since media day. Um, now, remember, I think that uh, – David Griffin has taken a lot of flack for, you know, the way they handled media day and we, Oh, you know, we're optimistic that he'll be back and start of the regular season. Zion was the one who said, Hey, 
I'm, I, I asked him directly. I said, are you going to be back for opening night? And he said, yes. So he was, so I think he has kind of wanted to avoid making statements. This was his look. I still want to play basketball. I want to play basketball in new Orleans. I want to, uh, you know, try to attack this rehab as best I can. And that's what he's doing right now. And I think that is the, the biggest takeaway uh, from him actually making a statement yesterday. We're talking to ESPN reporter Andrew Lopez on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. The Pelicans sit at 14 and 25. They're just, they're not good. So what does all of this do to the time frame of what they're trying to build around him? I think Josh Hart, uh, you might have been talking on J.J. Reddick's uh, podcast uh, this morning on Old Man and Three, and I think he, he kind of said it best. It, what it's kind of allowed them to do is is actually now, maybe at the start of the season, it was like, okay, maybe he's coming back soon. Maybe he's doing this, and you're waiting for this. And now they've, it's, it's kind of allowed the team to settle into, hey, all right, let's just relax now. Let's just play our game. They started 3-16 and 16, um, this season which not good. Okay. But since then, that's what, uh, 11 and nine or something, somewhere, somewhere around there. And they've been playing better basketball. Brandon Ingram has played better. He started to trust his teammates more. So things are looking up and 14 and 25 still puts you what two to two and a half games out of the play in tournament. Um, it's, it's one thing I think is going to be very interesting when the trade deadline comes, uh, next month of, how many teams are really going to be sellers? Because I think a lot of teams still feel like we really can get, you know, into the play-in tournament. I mean, just in the Western Conference, really, maybe Houston's the only one who thinks they're out of it. OKC will eventually realize, okay, maybe we probably should be out of it. But I think everybody else is going to try to make a push. So uh, for the team, things have started to, they've started to turn a corner. That horrible start has hurt them, but things are trending in the right direction. Andrew, that's in the moment. Let's pull back a little bit on the near future for the Pels. There's still so much conversation yeah. about whether or not uh, when he is ready to return, how long he might last in New Orleans. He's got a super max option coming his way. Many think he'll sign that, but then immediately try to get moved. Uh, maybe pull an Anthony Davis where he forces his way out. There's rumors that his family members are already trying to get him out of New Orleans. This seems to be a problem for the Pelicans, even when they're able to get that top talent, being able to retain them. How much does their decision-making now and in the near future have to take into account that there's a real chance that that might happen? Yeah, I think that's it, it is a a fear. It's definitely a fear among Pelicans fans who, uh, what, 12 years ago watched CP3 force his way out amid uh, ownership issues where I think at that point the league might have even owned the team. Yeah, of course they did. That's why they blocked the Lakers trade. Uh, so the league owned the team, and then Anthony Davis went through seven years of one playoff series win and then forced his way out. So it, it was kind of on the forefront, I think, of Pell's fans' minds right away, and which definitely meant it was on the minds of the – uh, the team itself and the, the the front office. So, but I do think now I, I think things maybe are starting to trend the other way of, in terms of the feel around that what, what some people have about if he's going to sign the extension or not. Um, you know, if you're if you're a guy who let's let's say and again I don't think he does this. I don't think he misses the rest of the season. But if he misses the rest of the season, that's 85 games played in three years. Uh, I think if you have a chance to take 180 or 200 million or whatever it's going to be, you probably should take it at that point. And then, you know, if you're going to do a Ben Simmons or if you're going to do an anything, whatever you're going to do, you figure it out later on. Um, but to me, I think what you do is uh, there, there's some more positivity building up right now with him. I think in the organization, I think Willie Green, uh, the head coach, 
is is proving to he's making a lot of headway there. Um, there's some some optimism around that I think uh, right now within the organization. Awesome stuff. We really appreciate the time, Andrew. Keep it up. Thanks for the time, brother. Thank you. ESPN reporter Andrew Lopez on the Goodyear Hotline giving you the straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up on Spain and Fitz, one last chance for Fitz to try to catch me in our five-pick Friday. We'll decide during the break whether we're going to go rock and jock and let one of his picks count for 30 points. It's coming up next. (laughs) You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on a Friday. Woo! The Friday specifically before week 18. And I would tell you it's the first week 18 ever, but I listened to ESPN Daily today and Bill Barnwell told me once when he was like nine years old, there was a week 18. Yeah, there and was a week the, 18 yeah. when there were two bye weeks. They did yeah. two bye weeks. And then I the NFL that. was like, oh, I guess this isn't as safe or like we got to change this. So, uh, no, it just stinks. Like nobody likes bye week. Yeah, so why give yeah. me two of them? I mean, I'm sure the players were down for that. I think I still think that I can fix this whole thing for the NFL by putting a bye week in the middle of the season. Everybody plays eight games, take one game off, and then you like air the uh, quarterback challenge sort of thing from Hawaii that they taped in the offseason for one weekend. We all come back for the back half of the season. It's more fair. I think that's a terrible idea. Thank you. It's <laughs> speaking of terrible ideas, Fitz betting against me in anything. Uh, thus far in his life, he has <sighs> won exactly one bet. Mm. It was our aces, uh, my uh, my red uh, red stars, my sky versus his aces, and I contend the only reason I lost that bet is because Candace Parker got uh, injured and missed a ton of games. Either way, I lost fair and square. I paid up, although you still have to tell me what gear I need to buy. Every other bet he has lost, and he's going to lose this one too. But we're going to do this anyway. Let's. Close Close out our five-pick Friday. Giving you the picks that matter. I'll tell you, I think the Raiders are going to win this game. They're going to win a high-scoring affair. And we're not talking Andy Dalton and Derek Carr picks. Try to wrap your head around that. Time for five-pick Friday on Spain and Fitz. That's right. It's all over for Fitz. Uh, it's impossible for him to catch up. My record is 44-16. and 16. Mm. His is 35-24-1. and 1. Still good. Still a winning record. Just uh, not as good as mine. Uh, yeah, is this is like the consolation to. round on fantasy football. Like, I, I yeah. still got to set my roster. Like, yeah. yeah, and that, I'm that's coasting my way yeah. to a victory. Uh-huh. We're still going to do it ahead of week 18. I would advise the gamblers among us to be very careful putting their money down on some of these week 18 games where guys don't have much to play for. Uh, let me get into it with my first pick. And that's Stosh's Chiefs over the Broncos. Now, we know the Chiefs have already won their division. We know the Broncos are already out. So why pick a meaningless game like that? Well, Kansas City can grab the number one seed in the AFC still with a win on Saturday and a Titans loss on Sunday. So when they go into this game, they are going to be looking to secure that first round bye. They are a better team than the Broncos. And Drew Locke has been bad against the Chiefs in the past. So I am taking Kansas City. Uh, you know what? I actually like that pick a lot. It makes a lot Thanks. of sense. Uh, I'm a That's man of my. Uh, I'm a man of my word. 16. I uh, I told you a few weeks ago after the Raiders lost to the Washington Football Team that uh, if they didn't win that game, I wasn't going to pick them again all year, and uh, I'm not going to. The Chargers play the Raiders. I have to pick this game. 
The football gods don't shine on me well enough for me to have nice things. Like, the football gods have been dangling all of this in front of me just to rip my heart out at the very end of it. This is like The Bachelor where I don't really belong on the show and everybody every week in America is like, why is he still on there? The the world knows what's going to happen. I'm going to be... producers. Yeah, the, exactly. It's good for drama and content. I, 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 you know, I'm the likable home chef on a cooking oh. channel that didn't belong with all the pros and my heart will be ripped out on Sunday night oh, when the Chargers man. beat the Raiders and that's how this whole thing this whole thing comes to us. So I'm taking the Chargers over the Raiders. That's really funny. First of all, it's a good you know hedge of your bets. You get to say you got that right, not that it matters because you're going to lose anyway. But you say you got that right, and you be you know one infinitesimal decimal point less sad about your Raiders losing. But also, I do love the idea of this just being good content that you're still in it, just so that at the end you can have your heart smashed into a million pieces. Mm-hmm. It is great content for the show. Speaking of, I got to pick my Bears. I'm going to pick them over Minnesota. Uh, Justin Fields is on the COVID protocol. Um, I don't think the Bears are necessarily a better team than the Vikings, but I just think I'm going to end this season by you know putting some faith in my squad that's won a couple in a row and is winning at the exact wrong time. If they're going to accidentally put some faith in anybody involved in this whole disaster and then have them brought back next season. Worst possible thing for the Bears is to continue to have success and somehow for the people upstairs to think that anybody should be retained. Mm, I like that. That. That pick a lot, and I like your logic on it. Like, hey, let's just make sure that, fatalist. like, let, let's <laughs> let's make sure that we don't even leave the door cracked open. And it, it's it's inspiring to me, and it's going to inspire my next two picks. I'm going to go back to back, Sarah. See, okay, because I just told you that the Chargers are going to beat the Raiders, but what I didn't mm-hmm. tell you is that the Ravens, Baltimore, mm-hmm. are going to beat a Steelers team that just isn't any good. I, this offense mm-hmm. for the Steelers isn't good. Baltimore has been able to get production out of the quarterback position no matter who's playing there. I'm impressed with the, ver- with the version of the Ravens we've seen much of this year. I'm impressed with Harbaugh's ability to get the most out of them. I still think they have something to play for knowing that they can make sure they slam the door shut on the Steelers' playoff chances, which they will do. Baltimore will beat the Steelers and then – And then, yet again, like we see every year since 2013, the Colts will find a way to lose in Jacksonville, meaning the Raiders make the playoffs even if they don't win the game. Sunday night, I'll be watching the Raiders lose, but I will be so drunk because I'll already be celebrating. Woo! How do you like that? Wow, that is a very hopeful approach for someone who just said that nothing ever good happens to you and the heavens never shine on you and the fates don't see it your way. That's a whole lot of unlikely things that need to happen in order for things to go your way. Look, I got I got a dream. I, I need a, I need a dream. The Colts against the Jaguars. Uh, I know the Jags have won six in a row at home against the visiting Colts, but the Colts need this win. They will send Jonathan Taylor over and over again. He'll have like 200-something yards in this game. They will keep it simple for Wentz. They are a better team. Jacksonville is a disaster and trash, and the fans will be wearing clown outfits quite literally in the stands at this game. So I'm taking the Colts. And while I'm here, I'm going to go ahead and take the Packers over the Lions. Mm. Why, you ask? Uh, You know, this is a team that has, you know, nothing. The Packers are great. The Lions are trash. And, you know, what if somebody gets hurt? Don't you think Jordan Love's probably going to get in there and play a little bit? And isn't that a little bit risky? Well, we do know that at least Aaron Rodgers will start this game so they could easily get a lead on the Lions, which I think is probably something that will happen. They've won five straight against Detroit. And I think the Packers, having clinched everything, still want to at least beat a division rival, and the Lions have a chance at the number one draft spot. If they lose 
and the Jags win. It's only 17% chance of both of those things happening. But why start being good now if a number one draft pick is on the line? I'm taking the Packers over the Lions. I'm just saying, sir, what better way for the Jags organization to clown the clown fans than by winning when everybody's dressed as clowns? Like, That's I just. True. God, I need this in my life, football. God, just, you know, t tell me what rain dance to do. Uh, I always pick uh, the college football side of game day game. Uh, obviously, that's going to be the national championship on Monday night. We won't be on at that point. So I figured I would uh, I'd, I'd get out there. They asked for my pick today for ESPN to run during the pregame show. I will match it here instead of hedging my bet. Thought about doing it. Alabama is going to face much more pressure from Georgia, but I still think that that's going to free up big plays for Alabama to make the ability uh, for Bryce Young to go off. He will do that. I, this is such an even matchup. It comes down to coaching. I'm not going to bet against Saban. I think Alabama beats Georgia 35-31. Yeah. I still haven't made a pick. I've been asked to, and I want to pick Georgia, but that Saban rule is coming you know, right at the right time for me to maybe catch myself before I make that grave error. <laughs> um, my final pick is the Saints over the Falcons. Ooh. I know Atlanta has a chance to sweep, get some momentum, but New Orleans needs this to get a chance to go to the playoffs. And they've got something to play for and are somehow in the mix still, despite not being a great team. So, you know, I think that they're going to show up with a lot more reason to fight than a Falcons team that has been somehow a little better than they look or are expected to be, right? Seven and nine is a surprisingly good record for a pretty bad team. I still think the Saints are a better squad, and they're going to get the win because they've got that to play for. So my final pick is Saints over Falcons. I've got one more pick for you, and it's an easy one. Titans over Texans. The Titans will still – I think you're right. The Chiefs are going to win, which means the Titans need to win over the Texans. They come in lights out. They, uh, they make a statement against the Texans – Despite what we've all said about him this week, the Titans lock up the number one seed, and they uh, they'll, they'll get the benefit of that. And uh, that'll be a, a really interesting weekend if things go the way we predict, or at least some of that. Coming up, will Alabama win another title, or is Kirby Smart beating his mentor? It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at SiriusXM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget coverage of the College Football Playoff National Championship presented by AT&T. Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern. You can check it out on ESPN Radio. We're going to get some insights on what to expect from this SEC Championship rematch between Alabama and Georgia. So to do that, we'll head over to the Goodyear Hotline, where we are joined by ESPN College Football Analyst Extraordinaire Trevor Maddich. Trevor, always appreciate the time. Happy New Year, my friend. And, uh, you know, I think Happy everybody's... Everybody's got the same question, right? Like, why is it going to be different? You watch more film than anybody. So, for the world, why is this game going to be different than the SEC championship? This game is going to be different, Fitz, because in the SEC championship, Georgia made a lot of mistakes that Alabama took advantage of, got a lot of easy yards, easy points that are easily correctable. And I think they will correct some of those mistakes. And I think this will be a completely different game. We have some rules around these parts that we've sort of established over years of being proved wrong. Uh, don't bet against Aaron Rodgers if the Bears are involved. Don't get bet against Tom Brady pretty much ever. Uh, there's one more fits that I'm forgetting. Uh, but basically, just things that we've, after enough times, we've just decided not to do it. And one of those that we're inching towards adding to the list is not betting against Saban in title games. And I know he's not infallible and unbeaten, but what is it about the coaching matchup that would lead you to think 
that that there's not a massive uh, benefit to, to to the Bama side on that. Well, part of it is recruiting. <laughs> part of it is the way he prepares his guys. But in this particular matchup with Alabama and Georgia, part of it is knowing Kirby Smart and the way he thinks so intimately because Coach Smart of Georgia used to be the defensive coordinator for Nick Saban of Alabama. And I'll give you one play from the SEC championship game that kind of draws this out. Alabama wanted to run a bubble screen to the right. They had three receivers to the right. And so they had two blockers and they got to catch the ball. Their problem was that Georgia had three defenders on those two blockers. So Alabama pre-snap anticipated what Georgia's assignments would be. They took the receiver that would catch the ball, Jamison Williams, and they motioned him pre-snap from the right side all the way to the left side of the formation. One of those three guys out to the right, the linebacker, followed him in there. And now with the new offensive formation, he triggered a blitz up the middle. So that linebacker fired up the middle at the snap. Now on the right, Alabama had two blockers for two defenders, but nobody to catch the ball. So what they did after the snap was they took Jamison Williams, who had motion all the way to the left, and brought him all the way back to the right to catch the ball. And they had a nice gain on an easy bubble screen where the numbers favored them because they knew that when they lined up in the formation that they originated in and they motioned the wide receiver all the way to the other side, they knew what the assignments would do on Georgia's defense. They knew that they would clear that linebacker, and they knew they could bring him back and still run the bubble screen. Now, how do they know that? That's one of the, the adjustments that Georgia needs to make, which is don't make it so easy for Alabama to anticipate what their assignments are going to be. Spain, and, but you on. could say the same opposite, right? I mean, can't, can't it be as much about smart knowing what Saban does? It ought to be, but right. he hasn't done it yet. He's come awfully close, painfully, agonizingly close, led late in the game. And a miracle drive in one case, a miracle throw by Tua in another case, smashed victory from Georgia's jaws and put it into the Alabama side. But until they get over that hump, they're not over that hump. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to ESPN College Football Analyst Trevor Maddich. So one thing that is uh, I've seen a lot of coverage on is the near misses with Bryce Young. They almost got to Bryce Young a bunch. This is a really talented defense for Georgia. Is there any advantage from a player's mindset, Trevor, when you're coming back to somebody you just saw? Does it help that, hey, we just saw him, we can better anticipate his speed? Is, like, is there any carryover? That does help to a degree because one of the fixable mistakes that Georgia kept making in the SEC championship game was they left pass rush lanes open. They tried so hard to get to Bryce Young that they did too much, and they rushed right out of their lane and left a little gap that he could squirt through it. And I mean squirt through. I mean, Bryce Young can get through a gap that you don't think a human being could fit through. It's like a little mouse that could get through a hole the size of a pencil, right, in your wall. And you don't know how he does it, but he does. You know, And just one of those, it wasn't the hole the size of a pencil. It was a chasm where Bryce Young ran, scrambled, really, for about a 20-yard touchdown to his left. Georgia, in the SEC championship game on this play, was running a three-man stunt. So the two defenders on the left slanted inside towards the right, and the third guy was supposed to loop outside to take contain and to replace those guys. Well, that guy didn't loop out there. Now, whether he was not supposed to and somebody else was, it's hard to say who messed this up, but the bottom line was that Georgia then did not have anybody to the left to contain Bryce Young. So he saw that 
boom, off he goes to the left and scores a 20-yard touchdown. Other times, those lanes were, were just a little bit off. And Young was able to squirt through and break through a couple of hands that, that tagged him on the way by. Either way, what you just said, Fitz, is important because now those Georgia defenders have it hammered home that even if they slow down their rush a little bit, they can't let him get out of the pocket. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, looking ahead to the national championship Monday. Fitz will be there covering it. ESPN college football analyst Trevor Maddich breaking it down with us now. Trevor, you know, we talk a lot about sort of the narrative surrounding the game. You know, the mentor, can he beat the mentee or vice versa? We talk about the matchup, the SEC elements. If you just looked at the football players on the field, are these teams as evenly matched as we might consider after the season we've seen? Yeah, they're evenly matched, but in kind of a lopsided way. Uh, Because Alabama has got a bunch of injuries that they're dealing with, guys that are either out or gimpy. The most important probably is John Mechie who is their leading receiver based on number of catches, he won't play. That, that's important. They've got some banged-up guys on the right side of the offensive line. Uh, they're, they're working on a backup center. Those things are important. And, uh, but Georgia, on the other side, is quite healthy, but there's matchup advantages that Alabama can take advantage of there, especially if they can get Jamison Williams and some of the young receivers and tight ends, Jaleel Billsley, really, up in the middle – on Georgia's safeties. So while you've got a, a healthy Georgia against a banged-up Alabama, their corners and secondaries banged up as well for the Tide, uh, at the same time, Georgia's got some places that Alabama thinks that they can exploit. And when you put those things together, like if you put them up all on a scale, it kind of balances out, especially when you take into account that Alabama has the best quarterback and the best coach. But when you match them up together – the advantages and disadvantages are in completely different places. So I think this is an evenly matched game, and it's going to be really interesting to see which flaws of which team is going to be exploited by the other the best. Talking to Trevor Maddich on Spain and Fitz. Trevor, Bryce Young completed 75% of his passes when he wasn't blitzed in the SEC championship game. He completed 40% of his passes when he was blitzed, but Georgia didn't blitz a lot. Can they afford to take more chances defensively and send more people at Bryce in the national championship? I think they've got to be careful because when he completes balls against the blitz, they tend to go for a long ways. And he's got the accuracy and the poise to be able to deliver the ball uh, you know, under pressure. And one of the great things about Bryce Young this year is that he's got a lightning-fast release. I mean, from the time he decides to throw the ball and starts his motion to the time the ball is out of his hands, is as fast as any quarterback you'll see on Saturdays or Sundays. I mean, he's Aaron Rodgers quick when it comes to that release. So that means that he can pause an extra beat as the blitz is approaching and about to hit him to wait for something to develop downfield before he lets that thing go. And so, you know, Georgia will have to do a few things that are different. I expect them to pick the poison of trying to pressure Bryce Young and see what happens downfield since Mechie's not there at first to see if that works, but they'd better be ready to adjust back and then to, to not blitz so much. The key will be to, to attack his friends downfield because Young will have an answer for whatever Georgia brings. He did in the SEC championship game he's, he has all year. What Georgia needs to be able to do is, especially with Mechie out, they need to confuse the receivers. They need to somehow limit Jamison Williams from yards after the catch. And then everybody else, especially some of those young guys that will be taking the catches that Mechie would have, would have had, 
they have to mix up the coverages coming from different directions, sometimes singles, sometimes zones, sometimes matches and, and brackets, so that those guys are confused. Because Young, even if they blitz him, even if they pressure him, he's still going to beat him if those receivers are running open. So my focus, if I'm Georgia's defense, is contain Young in the pocket, contain Williams, and then everybody else confuse the heck out of him. It's great stuff from Trevor. You can check him out again Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. is the beginning of all of our coverage of the College Football National Championship presented by AT&T. That's on Monday. Trevor will be a great part of the pre- and post-game coverage right here on ESPN Radio. My friend, I appreciate you. Thanks for the great Thanks, information. Thanks, Vince. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, Bryce Young's going to be in the zone. Get in the zone brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. It's funny. Trevor says, just need to do this and this and this. And I'm, li- I'm just <laughs> thinking, like, that's a lot to ask everybody to do. Like, it, it's just... Man, uh, listening to him. You want to be the best or wait? You want to beat the – wait. Yeah, you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. Exactly. Just like that. All (laughs) right. Just like that. Speaking of bests, we may have the best clown car person. We may have a permanent passenger, somebody that is going to absolutely get an all-time seat in the clown car for Spain and Fitz. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Sarah, this is the last segment of radio that we're going to do together – before I know whether or not my beloved Raiders have I'm made the playoffs, for you. you know, I, I, mm. I don't, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do with my whole weekend. Like I got to distract myself tomorrow. I got to distract myself all day Sunday. Spain mm-hmm. and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over seven hundred dollars on average. Call or click today. I, I don't even know. Like, I just don't know what to do. I, I, I don't know how I'm going to spend my time. But Exercise. I, uh, clean oh, your that's closet. Gonna, that's a good idea. Well, I'll be Read flying, a book. To, flying to Indy. Watch Indie. the sex lives of college girls in your hotel room. Oh, that's not about it. But, like, I'll binge watch something in my hotel yeah, room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing I will not do is find myself any sort of a seat in the clown car, but it is time for us. <laughs> not on purpose, you won't. Yeah, uh, that's fair. But when you lose your job after a drunken rant about your beloved Raiders, you might be, or that might be where you end up the first show back. I got new goals. Not you to won't end be on up, the show. It'll be me but, putting right. you in the clown car for getting fired. It'll be back weekend. to Spain and company. How but you going to get fired on your day off? But this is my goal, not to end up in this clown car. <laughs> Spain and Fitz take you for a ride in the clown car. How funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I lose you. Is Earth flat or yeah. I think you need to do research on it. This guy left-handed, right-handed. Is he amphibious? Make me a bicycle clown. <laughs> so this is where we honor some of the best of the worst, or the worst of the worst, whatever you want to call it, the people that are just constantly making morons of themselves and uh, some of the more interesting situations across the landscape of sports. And we'll start with everybody's favorite person that's constantly in the news, and that would be Antonio Brown. Because if it's a day, it means Antonio Brown has got (laughs) more to say. And Mm -hmm. now Antonio Brown decided to go on the Full Send podcast. I I can't keep up with all these podcasts. It's too much for me. Full Send send podcast. (laughs) And uh, he he was asked a question about, you know, Brady being his boy and, uh, you know, sort of turning on him, and this is what he said. If Tom Brady's my boy, why am I playing for earnest salary? Right. You my boy though, right? Right. Gronkowski is boy, right? Right. How much do he get paid? Significant amount. Damn. All right. So so why is AB on a prove it deal? Who's better than me over there? Let's be real. Right. But don't no, you? No, no, no. Let's no. Let's not not be right. Let's be honest. No, I'll, this be, the I'll be real. To be real. No, I'll be real. Who is the best guy over there? AB. Since you guys know football, who for is sure, it? For sure. For sure. Who's AB. the best guy over and that team? No, Play AB. Football receiver it's wise, AB. who is the guy that get it popping? It's I AB. mean, I think it's a combination of all you guys. I think it was AB. Nomination now. 
Yeah. Why is the guy who took his shirt off in the middle of the game and threw his gear into the crowd and didn't finish the season and immediately released a rap song and then started talking about the team and the guys that stood up for him and let him live in his house? Why is he on a prove it deal? Uh, I mean, there's just. Does I, he hear himself? No. No, he doesn't. No, no, he, he he doesn't at all. That's part of the magic of AB. Like, and through this whole process, the amount of times that he continues to play the victim in everything that he does, right. it's just it's just gross. Like, right, all like of comparing this is gross. himself though to like Rob Gronkowski, why am I making you know three point one or whatever while Rob is making eight? Well, because that guy has showed up every single game, regardless of injuries. He's been you know he's a certain Hall of Famer, potentially the greatest ever at his position. And Antonio Brown is a great football player, but bruh, you played one game with the Patriots, zero with the Raiders, and you were able to stay good for whatever it was after October of last year with the Bucks. Of course you're on a prove-it deal. And why you're going after Tom Brady now, and why you're adding all of this to what your core argument was, which was my, in- my injured ankle is the reason I couldn't go in. If you want people to believe that, guess what? You can't add on to that. Also, I'm mad at Tom Brady. Also, I should have been playing for the Ravens, according to Kodak Black. Also, you know, yada yada. Like he clearly. I mean, it's not like I'm 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 arguing with with like someone who isn't, you know, gonna listen. But this doesn't help him at all. Yeah, but you know, you can't help somebody that doesn't want to help themselves right. for sure. And it, it, every day he's gonna keep speaking until he feels like he's shifted the narrative, or until he decides that he needs the money to play in the NFL again, and then he'll come out and say he was sorry. So like, it's just it's so, or, or mm-hmm. that he was misunderstood. Uh, th- there's so many layers to this. Moving on to the next uh, segment of the clown call. This one actually kind of hits home because it involves clowns, right? Uh, so, mm-hmm. as you've Jack mentioned, uh, Jags fans have decided to show up to the finale against the Colts uh, dressed as clowns. So, they are going to have clown makeup on. They're going to wear clown outfits. By the way, my usual hollow sounds like a regular Tuesday during Halloween season, but cool, like you want to do it for the last game. Well, it turns out the title sponsor for their season finale is suing the Jags, trying to get their name disassociated from the game because they don't want to be part of the clown game. So, roofclaim.com does not want to be roofclaim.com, the clown company, apparently. So, they want nothing to do with it, which is funny. (laughs) Like, they just want to take their name off this one game. And I'm sitting there thinking, maybe you ought to look at the overall investment and decide if it's worth it. Well, first of all, it's worth it already right now because we're talking about roofclaim.com, right? And they probably knew there would be some reporting and some coverage of this. And they also said fairly, I think, in a Jacksonville circuit court, the team, quote, has utterly failed to provide the sponsorship benefits outlined in the agreement, saying elsewhere that it breached the deal, quote, by exposing roofclaim.com's brand to a toxic marketing environment that will cause irreparable harm. Right. This team is such a joke and has been one all season long that they are now saying that it's been a violation of their agreement and the promised benefits that they were, that you know, that their three hundred thousand dollars or six hundred fifty five. I can't remember the total was at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I, I'm just sitting here thinking about what you expected from return on investment with the Jags in the first place. But it certainly right. wasn't a clown out. Like, I, I love that they're calling it that, by the way, the clown out. Uh, clown you know, out. In Vegas, they're going to have the blackout. Everybody wear black. Well, apparently for Jacksonville. Yeah, because they'll be in mourning for the end of the season because right. it's a funeral. Yeah. I, I, it, well, no, because they're trying to make a statement. You pulled the rug out from under me. That's what she does. She's Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz. Uh, they, they, by the way, do we want to get everybody updated on the Dr. Pepper uh, 
nation. Yeah, we I, should. Yeah. Listen, we were talking about a bunch of uh, stuff earlier. We were asking you guys about parody due to the fact that technically, and a lot of folks in my menchies are mad about this, it's not a shot at the Titans' ability to succeed this year or whether or not they've earned fair and square the number one seed. It's simply telling you that by the numbers and Football Outsiders' DVOA tracker, which is the most comprehensive look at every single play of the season, they are the worst number one seed ever in the history of their DVOA tracking. In fact, they would be the worst number two if they were a two. And so you guys hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation, and you answered the question, is the NFL parody this season more fun for you, or do you prefer when there's a team or two that might be dominant generational squads? 74% of you like the mystery. Mm. 26% prefer some great squads. In fact, at CheeseDog2020... Hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed with some news from Spain and Fitz Nation and said, I need more 13-3 and three and 12-4 and four teams and fewer 9-7s. and sevens. Feels too watered down. But not everybody agreed. At Rain3Black also chimed in on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed on Spain and Fitz Nation said, I'm in for parody. If one or two teams are always dominant, it doesn't make me want to watch the season because I know what the results will be. And some folks said that that option about wanting the dominant teams, just go watch the NBA, which is true. That is a place where you're much more likely to be able to predict at the beginning of the season the couple teams that have a shot. The NFL this season, you really couldn't do that. Yeah, well, look, the most important thing about parody is that as long as it lets the Raiders in, that's all that that matters. Like, thoughts and prayers, y'all. Like, I got a big weekend yeah. coming. Yes, there's a national Honestly, championship truly game. Honestly, thoughts but- and prayers because that's just what Untouchable Kaz won. One of our favorite listeners, Kaz, said, Fitzy's really going through it with the Raiders. Oh, Prayer man. hands, bro. Yeah, Derek Carr going to join Freddie you. and Fitzsimmons. Be sure to hang out with them next. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.